Welcome to the Permaculture Podcast with Scott Mann, a listener-supported program. My guests for this episode are David Blumenkrantz and Jen Mendez to share with us the idea of youth and community development through rites of passage. This is a conversation that encompasses education, teaching children permaculture, community development, what it means to grow up, and four of the major life experiences that most of us will encounter. Those include birth, adolescence, marriage, and death. This topic is something that David has worked on for 50 years in various forms before coming to examine how rites of passage and initiatory experiences influence education and community, and how reintroducing these ideas paired with indigenous wisdom and ways of knowing and scientific understanding can create a new narrative. Jen has been adapting these ideas and applying them to education design through her work and how to use them to develop new models for raising children in a way that includes care for the earth, care for ourselves, and care for others. If you enjoy this episode, or any in the archives stretching back to 2010, I need your support to keep things going. I can't do this without the help of each and every listener, and that includes you. Take two minutes and go over to patreon.com slash permaculturepodcast and sign up to become an ongoing listener patron. Depending on the level of support you select, you can receive a number of unique benefits, including early access to episodes, patron-only podcasts, and discounts with various businesses. The latest partnership in that program is with Chelsea Green Press, who are offering 25% off of your order. Should you prefer a one-time contribution, you can do that on the main page of the show at thepermaculturepodcast.com using the PayPal link on the right-hand side. Also, share your favorite episodes with your friends, family, on social media, anywhere that it is that you enjoy spreading the word about permaculture. Let people know about the show. Now then, on to David and Jen. I'll join you afterwards with more information, thoughts, and updates. Jen, with you being a past guest of the show, I'd like to leave a little bit of space for David to give a bit of an introduction to himself, and then we can take the conversation about rites of passage from there. David, if you could start us off by letting the listeners know a little bit about yourself and how you came to this work. Sure. Well, first, uh, Scott, it's a pleasure to be here with you, and thank you for the invitation. Always a joy to be in conversation with Jen Mendez and her wonderful work with Edge Alliance and Permakids. My history goes back quite a ways. I'm sitting talking to you from Glastonbury, Connecticut, a suburb of Hartford, uh, where I have lived in Connecticut since the mid-70s. I'm a husband of uh, the same woman for 37 years and a father. Uh, I've had the good fortune and uh, sensibilities when my uh, son was young to alter my working situation, and I was a hanging around dad and a first-room parent that uh, required the school changing their terminology from room mother to room parent. I wrote once that everything I needed to know I learned in summer camp, and I sort of came of age within the tradition of my ancestors, having become a bar mitzvah 50 years ago, and then going through subsequent experiences that unwittingly began to inform me about what later became, in my conscious mind and in my explorations, rites of passage. I grew up at a time where there was a lot of social change and social unrest, uh, I was born shortly after World War II and still had the echoes of my ancestors, which some escaped and some didn't from the tragedies of that worldwide situation. So I uh, sort of came into this field uh, sort of purposefully by accident. I, I really was trained uh, initially as an artist and filmmaker. But because I had this affinity for human dynamics, I really was very interested in the phenomenology of how we come to be human. Uh, I began dabbling in psychology and educational psychology and traditional alternative ways of knowing and traditional wisdom. My educational explorations in a formal way led me to universities uh, where I studied psychology and educational psychology, and uh, then went on for a doctorate in community psychology and social policy, studying with Seymour Saracen, who was the founder of the field of community psychology, and Jay Schinsel, who was the president of the American Association of Applied Anthropology, Louise Motti, who uh, was the editor of a series of books on rites of passage, and many other uh, very notable people that I was really blessed uh, 
to be engaged with. Um, found my way about 30 years ago to begin uh, inquiring into other ways of knowing and began thinking about traditional wisdom and uh, had the blessing of apprenticing and studying for many, many years with particular people and their ways and customs. So that's a little bit about me. What else would you like to know? I used to be a professional musician. I have a nice garden in the back, and we've already picked our first cherry tomatoes that I'm loving, and a member of a community-supported agriculture right around the corner. Of course, we live in a big sort of suburban farming community, and uh, what else can I tell you? I think that everything you shared is a great place for us to begin this conversation. Part of my interest in wanting to have this conversation with the two of you today was because one of the conversations I've had throughout my adult lifehood is that there are no initiatory experiences anymore. And myself and some of my friends later in life joined a fraternal organization because we were seeking that kind of experience. Many of us were Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts and things like that, but unless you get inducted into something like the Order of the Arrow, it's still just kind of checking off boxes as you you move through life. Coming from a Protestant background, the last real ritual that I was involved in was my baptism as a small child and then finally marriage. But in between, there are all these things that were just life uh, moving on. And so I'm interested from that kind of a space in culture where you see this work of rites of passage coming in with education and how Western culture differentiates from some of the indigenous traditions and communities. If that's not too much to throw out all at once. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll just sort of go with the flow. You've, you've piqued my interest, and sitting in front of me is uh, the Order of the Arrow Handbook and the Order of the Arrow Manual for Ordeals. You know, initiation, uh, rites of passage, uh, those are new terms because theology, sociology, psychology, anthropology really were born uh, all around the same time, uh, the end, middle of the end of the 1800s, as people began to create this thing called the academy, you know, higher education in college. And Arnold van Gennep, who was a French ethnographer who had a very interesting background, began to observe that certain things seemed to happen around points of transition during the life cycle, and that was birth, coming of age, marriage, and funerals. And in 1909, he published a seminal book called Les Rites de Passage, which you can figure out as French, but you know the English, Rites of Passage. And he observed that during these times of transition, certain things happened that had a beginning and a middle and an end. And because he was into theology, he had to put a fancy name on it. So it was separation, transition, and reincorporation, or transition has been called liminality or betwixt and between. But what he observed and then characterized in those three terms has been recorded in our history for 30,000 years. Rites of passage specifically and rituals in general go back 30,000 and 70,000 years respectively, which means there's something in those processes that were central to our survival. And one of the things you said, Scott, that I would clarify is that while there may be absent traditional or formal or socially sanctioned rights, because there's a notion that these things are central for young people growing up, that in the absence of these sanctioned community-oriented or culturally-based rites of passage, young people attempt to initiate themselves. And some of the patterns and themes and processes of initiation going back thousands of years are represented in youth's somewhat health-compromising attempts at initiation, like drug and alcohol use or scarification and tattooing or risk-taking behavior is pretty extraordinary in adolescence. So the short answer to a very, very deep and longer conversation is, in the absence of initiation and rites of passage, young people will not only attempt to initiate themselves and feel a longing and a, a bit of an angst at not having 
this kind of formal process to become an adult, but it also has serious consequences that we're witnessing in society today. Communities that are being ripped apart, and even the natural world is being impacted by Western society's failure to initiate young people to have a sense of self in relationship to the natural world. Whereas with what I opened this section with was about those formal rites of passage and initiatory experiences as you clarified that idea for me and expanded upon it. Makes me think of many of the things that my friends and I did as teenagers, which I won't detail too much <laughs> so as not to share too many of the things that we did during those times. But I can see where we were taking those kinds of actions in order to create some of those experiences for ourselves. And though not horribly destructive for most of us with the social group that I grew up with, I can see where we did do damage to ourselves and our community and others in the quest for that. Yes, and I'm sure that your listening audience, if asked, can you remember a time in your life where you had an experience in which you thought for a moment uh, that a change may be underfoot, that it was a bit of a tornado where you were no longer the child you were before and something was about to change uh, for you to become an adult. Uh, and whether it's getting involved in certain behaviors that people may not want to talk about publicly, especially on the radio, uh, many people have had those kinds of experiences. Using those experiences and rituals as a point of reference, how do you see applying these ideas to education? In particular, I'm interested in really from early childhood through uh, like that college transitional period, if that's something you would be open to addressing. It's a very long story, but I'll try to be really brief and I'll frame it in a question. What would we be doing when institutions that mattered in the lives of children were reframed as places of initiation? So it's been said that when we get our story wrong, we get our future wrong, and that the stories that we have been working under to educate and raise our children have given us the future we have now. So, for example, we are engaged uh, over the past months in situations where there have been horrific incidents of gun violence. We have situations where our environment has been challenged to survive. And so if schools were places of initiation in concert with their community, with civic organizations, with cultural organizations, if that was the right story, then what would we be doing? Well, we'd start probably in sixth grade or the grade in which young people are transitioning from primary to secondary school, and we would begin the process in a similar way to the processes that happened for thousands of years. It's the time in which young people entering puberty need to recognize along with their parents and the community that they are moving into another place of responsibility where they're required to learn important skills and where there's an expectation that other members of the community will be supportive to help them learn those skills and to help demonstrate them in the community. So, for example, one of the skills in education we all hope young people have is the ability to learn well. But the current paradigm is under the story, no child behind, race to the top, core competence and academic achievement. Those are the outcomes we desire, but it is not helping young people initiate to becoming a scholar and someone who appreciates that learning how to learn well is going to be central for them living in a healthy, happy way, because learning how to learn well doesn't mean just accomplishing skills in math or science or things that contemporary policy holds as valuable, but learning how to learn well in their relationship with the natural world, learning how to learn well in some kind of positive leisure time activity. So we talk about helping a young person find their bliss is the best protective factor against 
some of the health compromising behaviors, helping a young person find their genius, their inner talent, is part of what schools would be directed to. On the other side of it, a very important task of a community-oriented rites of passage is to signal to everyone that parents, the biological parents or the surrogate, the guardians, need to take on a different role, a role that isn't as central as it used to be when the children were young, and that there are other elders in the community who would come in to be supportive, the godparents, so to speak, the aunties, the uncles, the sponsors. These are all evident and elements in traditional rites of passage. Similar, when young people go off to college, which is a place of initiation. There's a chapter in a book I wrote about college is a place of rites of passage where young people would engage in the initiatory process as part of orientation, and a longer story has it that they then, if they're interested in fields of education and psychology or social work, would actually go through a more in-depth initiatory process and go back into surrounding communities to mentor high school students who, in the framework of a community-oriented rites of passage, would be mentors and guides to young people transitioning into middle school, who then would be mentor and guides these young people who are 11 and 12 for third graders who would be mentors and guides for children entering kindergarten. In the process of a community-oriented rite of passage story, everyone is in relationship to nurture and care for each other with a central story around helping them come of age through the rite of passage process. So that talks a little bit about college. Its focus is on that transition between primary and secondary school, and it reaches all the way down to designs when young people are on the threshold of entering some kind of educational process. As somebody who grew up in summer camp and went through a swimming program, I think it might be seen as easy as having the buddy system. I don't know if people have been through a similar thing, but I'm sure people out there recognize when they were learning how to swim, they'd never go in the water unless they had a buddy. What might that look like as part of the initiatory process if parents and children had buddies when they were participating in the educational process? People wouldn't be drowning as they are today. So I hope that sort of got at the very complicated question in as short a way as I could possibly do it. I really appreciate that because the way that you walked us through those different periods reminds me of various stories and experiences from my own life with that transition between my father was born in the early 1950s and then went to high school in the 60s. And during that experience, all the freshmen at his high school had to wear a freshman beanie. Uh I remember the freshman beanie. (laughs) But as a result of that, from what my father said, yes, in some ways it was a a mark of being a freshman that singled them out in certain ways, but it also provided others a way to find them and help them along. Mm-hmm. Or I think about my my youngest children participate in a before and after school program, but as a result of that, they intermingle with a lot of children ranging from preschool through to the fifth grade here locally is when primary school ends. And as a result of that, you have this blending of children who are all kind of playing and teaching and interacting with one another. And then when they go to school, they see these friends in the hallway and kind of have people to help foster them along through that process that's outside of just a parental figure or a teacher. Or even within my own life, when I was around eight years old, a woman who my mother worked for, my mom's boss, her husband taught at Caltech. And when he would come visit on the East Coast, he would sit down and talk with me about science. And even though he had, if I remember right, his background was in nuclear physics and nuclear chemistry, he would treat me as if I was a colleague and an equal and answer questions that I had about science on my level, but just a little bit ahead of where I was in order to pull me along and to draw out this interest in what I was learning at the time and push me further along in the process. Though, as individual memories, they don't stand out that much, but with the narrative that you provide about rites of passage and initiatory processes, it becomes very evident that these things existed within my life informally. 
you know, you, you bring up a good point and actually illustrate when we get the story right, we get our future right. I've been around in organizing communities and much of my life and professional career was actually not doing rites of passage. We've never run a rite of passage program where, you, where young people come and pay for the experience. Uh, I was uh, a youth worker, a teacher. I headed up for decades pretty large governmental and non-governmental human service organizations. And I've seen come and go over 50 years different stories that are supposed to, you know, declare war on drugs or just say no or fix some problems with teenagers. And, you know, those stories uh, coincide with programs. And, you know, over decades, the new program or flavor of the month coming down the road puts people into a, a pretty much uh, unconscious state. They, they go to sleep because it's sort of like, here we go again. But I found over decades, when you talk about rites of passage, as we have here and illustrated through your memory, everybody has a story. And when we share our stories, reflecting on some of these key elements, the threads in your story tug and connect with the threads of my story. And those are the essential ingredients for reigniting and strengthening the bonds of community. And so even in the short conversation here, and hopefully in many people that listen, something is being pulled as a thread in their story that connects them with the utility of this story of youth and community development through rites of passage that uh, Jen and I have been in conversation about, and I've been in conversation with people for almost 50 years. I'm working my way back through the works of David Orr and David Sobel with Earth in Mind and also about you know developing a sense of place and education in place. And it reminds me of a piece of my graduate program. One of the questions that came up early on was about when did each of us begin to care for the earth? And almost everyone could speak of some kind of an experience that they had that ignited that fire inside of themselves that made them say that this was what they were going to do with their lives. This was something that mattered to them and how important that one moment or experience was in making the difference in their life path. Yeah, I know that happened for me and I didn't even realize that my first job in 1966 was a junior counselor in a summer sleepaway camp and I was the woodlore counselor. I would take young people out into the woods to teach him the lore of the woods and it wasn't anything but what we were supposed to do we couldn't be anywhere without knowing the names of everything around us it was the way we had to be and as i look back at that extraordinary experience of 50 years ago that's really sort of a key ingredient uh, for what you're talking about now you couldn't be anywhere and know who you were unless you knew the names of everything that was around you, and that was the names of things in nature. So, you know, plus sleeping on the ground for eight weeks and working with the fire and working with the elements and finding out then when I worked in traditional ways with certain people that those were all the real teachers. The teachers were not in the human form. They were in the form of spirit that comes through those elements and hearing the voices of Mother Earth when you're sleeping on her every night. With the introduction that David has given us, Jen, I was wondering if you could share with us how you're looking to include um, initiatory experiences and rites of passage into your work with teaching children permaculture and where you're taking permi kids in the future. I'm sure. What David has done over the last 50 years and his work is a piece that I think can really enrich what is happening in education, and, and that includes permaculture education. So there's kind of two threads to answer that question, Scott, and they're very much related. The first is the idea that, you know, when our children develop a connection, as we've been talking about, to their place, but also to their family, their communities, their history, their, their ancestors, and nature, when they have that connection, they then can more fully come to really understand their authentic selves. And it's through that that they then can come to understand their role 
and their responsibility as part of this interconnected global world. And so with Permikids, our focus has always been with families and educators and helping them integrate into their communities in order to change consciousness. And often within those who are drawn to the whole systems thinking tools and the the ethics within permaculture, they are already drawn towards this new consciousness. So I am looking to help individuals out there, help families, help educators, help whole communities, essentially write a new story of educational design that can continue this change of consciousness and, and ultimately transform the future. I personally believe that education, and, and that includes permaculture education, can be enriched. For those who are working with or have very young children that are not yet at this time of transition that David has been talking about, we can already start working towards living a life right now that leads to a more seamless transformation when our children reach that milestone. So hopefully through Kids, one of the things that I'm hoping to do is help those who are central in the lives of our children, like parents, like educators, who are ready for this change, help them work with children to cultivate learning and life landscapes that start from the earliest years onward, that embrace the elements, the behaviors, the values that then help our children transition into a place of healthy, happy, productive adulthood, who then become the next element that continues that cycle of nourishing life. And one of the things that stands out with what David does is that his focus has always been on youth and community development through rites of passage. And there are certain conditions that are needed for community organizing. And one of those things is that you have to have a group, a core group. And I've learned this through David. And that core group has to include both youth and adults. And they have to be coming together through shared experiences and sharing those stories, as David talked about. And so I think that one of the things that we can do is helping those in the earliest years onward start to embrace those behaviors, those values, those elements, integrate those into their life as families, which then makes the time of youth and community development through rites of passage from childhood to adolescence, as David's been talking about, something that is much more seamless and a natural part of our development process. So one of the things that I have already been doing over this last year is that I've been trying to integrate this way of thinking about this change of consciousness into how people are thinking about educational design from the earliest years on. But you come to that transition, that really important place that we've been talking about. David mentioned in the beginning the the four different times, birth, adolescence, marriage, and death. And we come to a place where our children are going to transition. And What David has done for 50 years and the knowledge that he brings forth and that he's looking to share with us through an online electronic campfire, as we're calling it, it, to be able to get together and share and help us as, as parents, help us as educators, help those of us that are at that point that we are ready to make that change and to help be a catalyst within our community to bring the consciousness of youth and community development to rites of passage into our community, to start cultivating those relationships, to build that core group in order to actually organize community change. So I've been working with David in order to bring that forth and make that incredible wealth of knowledge available to folks. And David has done, as you can imagine, amazing things. He has incredible stories to tell. His experiences are just invaluable. But you couple that with some of the other things that he's done over the years, the different things he's written. In fact, he's working on um, yet another book right now that's going to be published soon. Maybe David can talk about that. And so integrating these things into a 
emerging design course, right? So it's not, it's not something that's set in stone, but it's something that we together can evolve through and using all of these incredible stories and these materials that David's done and help ourselves within our time, within our place, within our community, be that catalyst for changing the consciousness within our greater community and, you know, ultimately then helping our children. So that through this process of emergent educational design and introducing these ideas of rites of passage and initiatory experiences back into the consciousness of parents and educators and community, that they can then build an appropriate educational program, whether that's within a school or outside of a formal curriculum, that they can then begin delivering and adapting these ideas to what makes the most sense to those educators, parents, or community members? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, for some, it is in the very beginning of that change of consciousness. And for some, they are at a point where they're ready to take that next step forward and do that. And like you said, within the context of their community, and that means a lot of different things depending on where we are. And so what we're hoping to do is allow us to have a space together where we can all come and share what those are, share those stories, find our shared story together, and help each other through that, no matter where we are and no matter what it looks like. And having worked with David now for a little over a year, I've come to realize that despite being blown away from the very first time I heard him speak about this topic and realizing the importance of what he was saying, I've come to realize how challenging it can be to truly make that shift in consciousness. And it's not something that can be done overnight. It's not something that that happens in a short period of time. And it's definitely not something that happens in a standardized way. It's something that you have to find and allow to emerge and connect with the world around you. And you start to see things differently. And so, yes, working with David, we're hoping that the change of consciousness course that we're putting together can be just that, can be that catalyst that people are looking for in order to bring youth and community development through rites of passage into their community. If I may just say, it's been really wonderful and so nice to hear Jen articulate so well our conversations and through the technologies that she has been very good at, hosting webinars and putting together uh, groups of people in conversation. There have been so many people who have had an interest that we're putting together uh, a 10-session event uh, around youth and community development through rites of passage changing our consciousness, and, and that's going to begin in September, and we're going to be exploring some of the things that are in the book that's coming out, published by Oxford University Press, called Coming of Age the Right Way, R-I-T-E, Youth of and Community Development Through Rites of Passage. So we're really talking about not a program, but a collaborative evolutionary process that as somebody said, is really the confluence of the sacred and the profane. It recognizes the importance of traditional wisdom and other ways of knowing, but also the synergy that happens when it mingles with contemporary science and technology. And uh, I've been really blessed to have had the opportunity to walk in both worlds, not only through the traditions of my tribe and ancestors in the Hebraic tradition, but also in other cultures' tradition to really help extract some of the central elements that transcend culture and really are organic to our species. And Jen has really provided a wonderful forum and having the technologies and the ability and also to sort of get an older guy to think about talking into a television essentially when nobody else is there, you know, having this electronic campfire where actually people from all over the world uh, we experienced just a few weeks ago could come together and really have a conversation. So we're looking forward to it and, uh, you know, hopefully, Scott, you can, you can join us. It's something that I'm very interested in 
from my own background and experiences from a personal perspective, but also in helping because of my focus on adult education, providing some of those experiences for adults as well. There's a, a group of permaculture practitioners I know who the men in that group have talked about wanting to create something of a group for ourselves where we can get together and be able to discuss openly and honestly some of the things that we've gone through in life with some folks who can share in an understanding of that and then work together in order to continue to grow based on the stories that were gotten wrong in our lives or in many cases I know for some of us the stories that were told to us that we accepted without writing our own. Mm. Yeah. Thank you both for being a part of this conversation today and providing an introduction to this idea of rites of passage and initiatory experiences. I find that it applies to a lot more than just education as I examine my own stories. Before we bring things to a close, however, would the two of you like to share any final thoughts with the listeners? I'll let Jen go first. I'm still letting those stories sort of filter through me that you guys have been talking about today. And I think one of the things that I'm left with is a question, actually very much is, uh, I guess maybe it's a twist on, on the question that David talked about earlier, because I often find myself asking, what would the future look like if education from the earliest years forward was used and valued and, and even designed as a resource that nourishes life through youth and community development? What would that actually look like? What would it mean? How would that transform the future? So as I am allowing these stories that you guys have been sharing today filter through me and I draw connections to what was said, I find myself in a place where I even more firmly believe that it is essential, essential that our children are given opportunities to really make those connections that we talked about, connections with nature. Scott, you mentioned how in a class you were all asked whether or not you could identify a certain time in your life where something happened that drew you to want to dedicate your life to this connection with nature. And I think that I am even more convinced of the importance of helping our children develop this connection to their place, to their family, to their communities, and helping them through that find their authentic selves. Because I think that's really how we can transform this future and how they will come to understand and embrace their roles and responsibilities within their greater community and within this world. And so I just want to say that I'm, I'm very grateful that, first of all, Scott, you brought uh, David and I on. I am also grateful to you, David. I've been very blessed this past year plus since I've come to know you and feel so honored to have run across your path here um, because you have so much to share and give and, and I've grown so much because of it. And so I want to say thank you for that as well and also say thank you for doing a lot of the talking today because it's something that I think is your bliss, is your gift, and it is such a joy to hear you share it. Thank you so much. You make me blush. I'm glad we're only on the phone. I, I really want to set forth something that's been really important to me. Uh, they say that language is consciousness, and uh, the story of rites of passage, I think, is our shared sacred story. My orientation is very different, and I like to call it youth and community development through rites of passage. Rites of passage now if you Google it, you'll get over 100,000 different responses that are quite extraordinary. And with the, I don't want to say explosion, but coming on the scene over the past decades of programs that are called rites of passage or do rites of passage, taking young people out of their community and doing, uh, in many cases, pretty remarkable stuff and aiding their transformation. But it's a very, very different orientation to what I like to call youth and community development through rites of passage, which is really reciprocity between the individual and community and serves the survival of the community through helping young people come of age and help their community adapt and contribute to the community. So 
I know when we talk, it's easy to use the handle that's familiar of rites of passage, but that leads a, a little bit for me into some uh, rocky terrain. I like to think that the celebration of a rite of passage is renewing for the entire community, which includes Earth and all our relations. A child's public expression and commitment to a community's values and the beliefs of the community reinforces expectations for behavior for the survival of the entire community and the well-being of the planet and all our relations. You know, the child's coming of age within their community presents an opportunity for the whole community to examine, adapt, and recommit themselves to their social and cultural heritage. I like to say that it takes a whole child to raise a village and that the language of youth and community development through rites of passage can help us get the story right, which can help us get our future right. So I want to thank you as well, Scott, for hopefully beginning a conversation. And of course, uh, my, my humble uh, and sincere thanks to Jen for helping this along. And my thanks to both of you for adding your voices to the discussion and the conversation about how we can continue to change the consciousness of culture and society to bring about the world that we want to live in. I really appreciate everything that you've shared today, and it's provided a lot of insight into my own personal journey and those of others who I've interacted with over the years. Thank you both. Pleasure. Thank you. And that was David Blumenkrantz and Jen Mendez. You can find more of David and his work at Rope, R-O-P-E dot org, and Jen is at permikids.com. You'll find links to both of those in the show notes. On the page for this episode, you will also find a link back to a recent post I put up introducing the ideas that David and Jen shared here in a shorter format that you can send to people you know who are interested in children, education, and community building. That'll help spread the word about what David and Jen are doing. Jen also sent me some additional links with more information about the class they'll be offering this fall, which you'll also find there. If I'm able to, with everything else going on already, I am planning to participate in that course as I am able in order to examine these ideas more fully and apply them to secondary education and informal education with adults. With that, one of the things that really stood out to me is when David said that this work is the confluence of the sacred and the profane and the blending of traditional indigenous wisdom and ways of knowing with the scientific way in order to create a new narrative and educational system for children that comes together in a way that also develops our communities. Part of this for me is because it touches on the need for informal yet rigorous education to begin telling stories that weave together more than just the facts, that include the emotions and cultural touchstones of the things we and others around us connect with and care about. As a parent, I know what my children like and what will inspire them, and that's something that I can tap into when going through this process and help my children to develop in the context of the classroom and in their life as a whole person, well-rounded, though in such a way that those things that are unique about them are not knocked off or ignored or excluded, that they can be encouraged and allowed to blossom and grow. I also like this approach, as shared by David and Jen, because it provides a big picture for a number of related, though, at sometimes I feel disparate parts that I've been mulling over and working on the past few months when it comes to my own sense of place for my children, for myself, for my understanding of self, and how that influences my permacultural practices, teaching, and work on creating a community, both to extend the virtual online one that we have through the podcast, but also in wanting to develop an in-place residential permaculture school and community around it that can support it, what we've been calling a semi-intentional community that blends private and public space. One of the biggest influences on my perspective when it comes to permaculture and the other parts that I've worked on that are still underneath this umbrella but don't necessarily come through in this material that I create each week is from the environmental education field and the writings of David Orr and David Sobel. Both work heavily around the idea of establishing a sense of place. These roots that we put down, each and every one of us, somewhere, whether that's from my friends who I know who traveled for many years and were on the road because they worked the Ren Fair circuit, 
the specific shows in their schedule that they traveled to. They knew their annual calendar and where they would be. And for them, even though they were transient in some ways, they still knew where they were going and the people there and the communities that they were a part of, even though it may have only been for a couple of weeks at a time. For others, such as myself, it's more about being in an area and really knowing one place really well, like it's the back of my hand, in a way that extends beyond just the land and what grows here, but also the people and places that make it what it is, to remove the homogenizing elements from the equation and find the places and people that make an area unique. What are the spaces that are not the big box stores, but still the the mom and pop type shops, as they referred to when I was a kid? But those owner-operated businesses, those non-franchise places, the restaurants that aren't fast food that you can find anywhere, though I don't include in and out on that list from everything that I've read and heard about them for those of you who have them where you live. For me, those kinds of roots, that grounding, allow us to really be a part of the spaces that we call our own. And when it comes to teaching children, it can be used as both the classroom and a tool that connects students with resources that further integrate them into not only what it is that they're learning, but also the community by using examples that are close at hand to discuss various disciplines from math to science to history to language. Once a certain core proficiency is established, being able to read, write, and do basic maths, those in many ways primary skill schools, students can progress forward in a way that furthers their studies so that they are well aware of the local biota, climate, and geology that can be used then to discuss a biology or earth science class. History can include conversations about how the place where one lives fits within the greater context of national or world events. An example of that might be how during World War II, the Enola Yard, a local rail yard, was receiving shipments from all over the Allied territories, including the USSR, because of the risk of transport via ships to Europe. So the rail yards were being used to transport those goods into American convoys to get them across the Atlantic. Or we can use examples from sports played in an area to teach math and physics. Around here, most children play soccer, baseball, or softball. Or if they're not there, they're out cheering their friends on when games are being played. It's part of not only their athletics here, but also the culture of this community. We're a ball town where soccer continues to grow. And to me, it makes more sense to ask children, if Monique runs at 30 feet per second, how long does it take her to round the bases of a baseball field, a total distance of 360 feet? Yeah, it's a word problem, a little abstract when we actually look at the numbers. But it's something that they can see if they want to. They can go out and walk around the baseball diamond. And then during recess or gym class, maybe they go run the bases. And they can either, you know, count and time themselves or have their instructor do that and see if they can beat our fictional Monique's time. Or maybe in running those bases, they realize that she is very fast. I touched on this some when thinking about a sense of place when it comes to permaculture practitioners, but as adults, setting down roots provides a community for us to be involved in, to be a part of what's going on and what's happening rather than insulating ourselves away from it. We can get involved in politics, if that's not scary for us, and be on planning commissions or various advisory boards. But even if we don't want to get involved directly, we can still go to meetings and have our voices heard. Because by understanding where we live culturally and from a community perspective, as well as we know the landscape, we'll know the newsletters to read, to know what's going on, what websites to check, what phone numbers to call to get more information. Something that as a stranger or as an outsider, we might not necessarily know or really have to dig into and research to get the answers for that just by being a member of a community, we know inherently or got to learn by participating in different activities over the years. That allows us ever greater influence to change this narrative by working with business owners, people we can get to know or already know. We can bring permaculture into their lives, whether we're designers or teachers, talking to landscape firms or going to local organizations and teaching after-school programs through, you know, the Boy and Girl Scouts or Boys and Girls Clubs, or if it's a place where we feel comfortable through local religious organizations. 
Taking this back again to what David and Jen shared here, this idea of rites of passage and initiatory experiences allow us to begin to recreate those ideas in community in a way that help children and the people they call their friends and neighbors to develop the connections needed to increase the yields of all kinds, including social and cultural, to create the world we want to live in. Together we can look beyond the immediacy of the now and the fear and separation that is fed to us every day and cast off that wrong story that has led us to where we are now. And as we work with ourselves and our families, those people close to us, our friends, we can create the space to write a new story, the right one. And the beauty of this is that we don't have to do this alone. We can do this in community. We can start with the virtual campfires that David and Jen mentioned and begin working with those closest to us. And as that zone one and zone two grows and fills, we can get to know people who are our allies, wherever they are, and use what we learn through these processes to start applying these ideas of community development through rites of passage and initiatory experiences to get things moving where we live. Through that, create conversations and dialogues to get people included to hear their voices and understand where they come from and why these things matter or how they feel they might fit better within the context of where we live so that they might self-empower and find productive rights and experiences for themselves and others. And while we do this, we can ensure that we include, especially, the children. Throughout your journey, if I can assist you in your efforts, let me know. 717-827-6266 or email show at thepermaculturepodcast.com. I am changing my working habits a little bit, and as a result of that, may not get to email immediately. So please, if it's something that's time-sensitive, call me if you would like to get in touch. You can also follow in the conversations at facebook.com slash thepermaculturepodcast, or see what I'm up to with short-form updates via Twitter, where I am at permaculturecst. With all these shout-outs and ways to connect, I also want to let you know that I've begun moving the podcast files to SoundCloud in preparation for a new website later this year, soundcloud.com slash permaculturepodcast. Next week is an interview with Victoria and Eric of Charm City Farms and their work establishing an urban food forest in the city of Baltimore, Maryland, which of course, as you've probably come to expect, covers a lot more than just discussing a food forest. After that is Adam Brock talking about the role of a guest editor with Permaculture Design Magazine, so that you can understand more about that process in case you're listening here and would like to assist John Wages by doing so in the future, or would just like to get involved with Permaculture Design Magazine in general. With all that said, until the next time, do something each day to create the world you want to live in by taking care of Earth, yourself, and each other.